Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. How are you guys doing today? We good? Are we ready for Thanksgiving? Did anybody have any weird food that shows up at your house? Does anybody, did anybody know how to answer that question? Like, do you have weird food? Are you husbands keeping your hands down because you don't want to tell your wife that? I'll give you mine. Uh, so everybody, you probably don't have a lot of weird food, but has everyone here had at least one weird interaction at a Thanksgiving dinner? Anybody? All right. Bunch of liars. Perfect. Okay. Just your family's probably here with you. Uh, so we did a thing called Friendsgiving, um, which is like we're like for a young adults group, we got a bunch of people together. Everybody brought a dish. And somebody brought that, that yam dish. Do you like yams, like the with the marshmallows on top and brown sugar? All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Like, I'm not going to lie. It was a weird dish. Like, I don't think that's one that, like, my family didn't have around a long time. And it was orange with white stuff on the top. I was probably just not, I was probably, as a kid, I was probably like, give me the taters and the the biscuit, and I'm I'm good to go. So um, this kid brought yams, right? And yams are pretty much like, some people love yams. Like, some of you are like, yams for life. And some of us are like, it's orange. I'm not eating it. So, uh... And so that was kind of the feeling, all right? It's there. Now, I tried some because I'm the leader of the group, and I don't want anybody to cry that I didn't try their food. And, so I, and it was actually pretty decent because they had brown sugar. You put sugar on anything, is good. So they had brown sugar on there, the marshmallows. I thought it was decent. I just took a little bit. And so we're all sitting, and, and this person, he's, he's been bragging about his yams for like a week now. And he looks, seriously, and he looks around, and nobody has yams on their plate except for like me and like two other people. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. that's exactly how he felt. Aww. And he didn't just keep it to himself. He said it out loud. And he said, nobody has yams? And everybody like, got real quiet and was like, uh-huh, try to make a joke. He got up, got his yams, and left the house. And I was like, wow, he about them yams, okay? I'm just saying, like, you don't mess with that guy. That was, that was my weird interaction at Thanksgiving. But I have, a, I have a question. I just need to pull the room really quick. Who here is like, you would classify yourself as, I'm pretty romantic. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Put your hand up. I'm a pretty romantic person. Go ahead. Yes, men who are, men who feel they're romantic, you put that hand up and you put that hand up high. Keep it up. Keep it up. Look around at the other men that don't have their hand up. Christian Hasiega, you had your hand up. Put it back up. Okay? Don't let someone shame you. I am a romantic guy, okay? I'm telling you right now, I love romance. I will fight that. I will say that I hate Hallmark movies in my heart of hearts. Hallmark movies are great, all right? There is nothing, don't play. There is nothing, go ahead, boo. I'm about, you're about to learn a lesson right now. You, there is nothing greater, okay, than watching a movie you 100% know the ending to, right? There is not a twist in that movie you don't know about, right? You see the woman who owns the Christmas tree farm, and then you see the man in a Mercedes Benz driving way too fast. And you know 100% that guy is doing volunteer work at that Christmas tree farm. <laughs> and they are roughly the same age. The only twist you has is surprise. She has like a niece that kind of lives with her, but really does. Like, it's just, that's like, the, the, and you know, they're going to get together. They're going to love each other. You're about that life, right? If you're a romantic guy, you know, you'll hate it. But at the same time, you're like, makes my heart happy, right? It's like hot cocoa for the heart, a Hallmark movie. And, uh, and, and there is, for the romantic men in here, some of you, ro- raise your hand, you are romantic and you are single. And I applaud you, okay? You can still be romantic and be single. Because a romantic person's our Super Bowl, our Super Bowl. 
is the proposal to our girlfriend who will become our fiance and become our wife. That is our Super Bowl. Why? So that's the most romantic moment you can actually have a part of. And it is, it's, listen, for a romantic guy, it's not all about your girlfriend. It's all about you. It's about, this is my stop to like bring out all the stops. I'm doing everything I can. I'm gonna make this thing gushy. We're, they're gonna write Hallmark movies about the proposal I'm about to do, right? And that was me. This was my Super Bowl. Me and Amy were talking. We decided we've been dating for four years. We're like, let's get married. My wife had two, had two things she told me. She said, number one, Charlie, she said, I do not want everyone to look at me. So she, I couldn't do it in front of a crowd, right? My wife is kind of quiet. She doesn't want all eyes on her. So that was awesome. So all like those proposals at like uh, Staples Center or Crypto Stupid Center, whatever that thing is called now, I don't know. <laughs> whatever that place is now called. Nothing there. Can't do it in like restaurant with all of our friends. Nope. It's got to be just me and her. But then she gave me number two, the rule number two, which is I needed to make it something memorable. And the romantic man in me said, I got this. All right. So this is what I did. I'm going to be very vulnerable. I'm going to show you the actual notes that I wrote for my wife because I decided I was going to do a scavenger hunt to ask my wife to marry me. That was going to be memorable. And I was going to set it all up to all the places that had meaning in our relationship. And she was going to have to go around and find all these places. That was what I came up with. Okay. So I'm going to show you these actual notes. I found them like probably last year. So they're like, 14 years old or something like that, or 13. And, and so they're going to be up here. I'm going to read them from the back. And I am a poet. You are going to be, listen, if you're single in here, I'm a poet. I have horrible handwriting. So I'm going to read this for you. Uh, if you're a single man in here, or if you're not even romantic, you need to start taking notes right now. Like this is where notes starts right now. So I'm going to read these notes. A journey now you must take. You have no choice. This is not a fake. That's kind of like... <laughs> Wasn't thinking that one out. <laughs> you don't have a choice. <laughs> Follow the clues to the place of design. And at the end, a present you'll find. That's me, all right? The best present. Um, love. <laughs> and that's a heart. Um, <laughs> romantic, not artistic, though. So love me. I hope she knew who that was from. All right? That was her first clue. She knows, hey, we're about to take a journey. This is the next one. So this is, there's two notes. On the, on, the, uh, on the envelope, or sorry, on the, the balloon right in front of her house, she reads that one. She's like, okay, I got to take a journey now. This is the second one that came with that balloon. The first place that you must go is where, the first place you must be, apologies, uh, is where we saw an eerie movie. And after I gave you a Christmas gift, we hugged and had our very first kiss. Aw. it's good right there. I'm a poet. Dr. Seuss, move over, bro. I'm about this life, Okay. Okay, does anybody know where that would be? Anybody know where Amy had to go? A movie theater. How many movie theaters are there? Do you think Amy went to all the movie theaters in the world? No, she knew exactly which movie theater. It was the movie theater. It wasn't even at the movie theater. It was in the parking garage of the movie theater at Triangle Square, all right? We, I walked her back to her car. I gave her a Christmas gift. Was was a cheap chair that cost me $25 because I had no money, but she wanted it. So I gave her the gift and we had our very first kiss. And that's exactly where Amy went. Amy didn't have to text me. Amy didn't say, I don't get this. She knew, boom, I read that note. We're going to the Triangle, to Triangle Square, wherever that place is called. We're going to go there. And there was another turquoise balloon. And that turquoise balloon said this, this place, we always ordered a large size of amazing, delicious curly fries. I think I spelled curly wrong. That's okay. Uh, here's another clue I would like to share. It's where I put shake all over your hair. All right. Anybody know where, where I'm going? Burger King. Okay. 
Jack in the box, that's the best curly fries, right? But which Jack in the box? There's like 2 million Jack in the boxes, right? In your mind, you probably, if I say Jack in the box, most of you have a Jack in the box in your head. It's where you get gross tacos uh, when you're desperate. And it's okay. <laughs> you have that Jack in the box in your head. I'm telling you right now that more than likely that wasn't the Jack in the box I was talking about, right? But we had our very own Jack in the box, which our very first dates, we would walk from Vanguard all the way over to that Jack in the box that's kind of right across the bridge. And, uh, and we would sit there. And one time I spilled a shake on her head because I'm clumsy and that's just how it goes. Um, and that's so, and she didn't have to question. She didn't ask me. She knew right when she read that note, right? That's where I'm going, all right? This is the last one. And then uh, I'll, I'll stop making most of you look bad. So in college, <laughs> in college, we ate here all the time. And sometimes the food, it was a crime. But it's also the place I couldn't wait to ask you out on our very first date. Anybody know where you're supposed to go? At my college, it's a good guess. Vanguard at the cafeteria. And that's right where she went, right? So right in front of the Vanguard uh, calf, I asked her to be, uh, to not be anything. I asked her if she would like to go see a movie. I thought we were going to go see uh, Save the Last Dance, number one, because that's how long ago it was before there was like 40. Um, so Save the Last Dance. Um, and, uh, and then we ended up seeing Gridiron Gang with The Rock, the best actor in the world. And so that's when I knew she would be my wife. Uh, and that's where I went, went right there. She didn't have to question, ask, or anything like that. She knew exactly where to go. Now, I just showed you three places where, we, where they were clues to a place, right? But I wrote those things to Amy with the assumption that she would know where to go. And Amy, when she read those, because she knew they were from me, knew exactly where to go. She knew who was from, and then she also knew when I was writing them. If I wrote those same notes to Amy now, we would probably have different places in mind, at least for some of them, right? Because we'd have different memories. We'd have different things that have happened in the last, you know, 11 years of our marriage. We have different things that, that go on, and now we have kids. And so, so you would assume that if I were to read those letters again or write those letters and give them now, she'd probably end up at different places than she ended up before. And if I gave them to you and told you, hey, read these letters, you would show up at totally different places. Some of you so somebody said last week when I said the food was a crime, they said 7-Eleven. And I was like, amen, I hope you don't eat there. Like, that is, like pray before because, man, that is a risk. Um, and, and so you probably, but you probably have different definitions of what I just said, right? And yet, the words in this book are, are especially the letters and the gospels. They're written for a reason to a person at a certain time. This Bible, which everything that we do, it all stands on this word, right? Like I'll, I'll say even later in the sermon, like I'm going to ask you to die for the words that are in, these book, are in this book. And yet sometimes we don't even take the time to find out who this book was written to, which is it a historical book? Is it a letter? Is it a gospel? We don't take the time to find out who it was written to, when it was written, um, to really know what it is saying. Because scripture cannot say to you what it did not say to them. It might apply different to you, but it will not mean a totally different thing to you than what it did to them. And that's a very important thing to understand about, about our scriptures is that they are not something that you can just make up or that you can make whatever you want. They are something that was written for a certain time to, to say a certain thing to a certain place. And now we have the opportunity to now read that and apply it. And so we're going to talk about that today on how to do that. All right. So before we do that, can we bow our heads and pray for that's the service. Father, 
God, as we get ready to dive into your word, God, not just these certain scriptures I will read, but God, really understanding the impact that the Bible can have in our lives and how important and how, and how essential it is to what we do here as Christians on this earth. God, I pray that you would move hearts. God, I pray you would challenge us, convict us if that is, if that is what you're doing today, that God, above all, God, we would listen to the words you have to say to us today. In your name we pray, amen. All right. So just like the letters, in order to know those little notes, um, in order to really know where Amy was supposed to go, you would have to know two things. You would have to know who they were written to, which was from me to Amy, and when they were written, right? To, in order to get to the exact same places, you would have to know the who and the when. If you don't know the who and the when, those, those little notes won't make any sense to you. So the same thing with scripture. In order to really get into scripture, in order to understand what the scripture is saying, you should know, you should ask yourself at first just two things, who it's written, who wrote it, and who it's written to, and when was it written? I'll give you an example of what this looks like. Can you guys open your Bibles to Revelations 3? Revelation is at the very end of your Bible. If you have your Bible app, go ahead, uh, open that up. Just go to the very bottom, scroll all the way to the bottom, go Revelation, go chapter 3. And I want you to go to the section that says a message to Laodicea. Message to Laodicea. Okay? That's where we're going to be. Scriptures are going to be on the screen. If you don't have your Bible or, or uh, you know, you don't have one downloaded on your phone, that's fine. So you don't. But just pay attention because I want you guys to see something. So I'm going to start in verse 14. 15 and 16 will be on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 14. You'll see that if you have a Bible like mine, um, mine are written in red letters. That is because this book has been written by a man named John. John is one of the disciples. They call him John the Beloved. He was probably Jesus' best friend. Um, and he has been exiled to an island. And at the island, he's received a vision from the Lord. And so the words that he's writing here are from God. Like God is telling him, this is what I'm saying. That's why it's written in red. This is not John describing a vision. This is what God is saying, say this to them. So that's why it's written in red in my Bible. These are the words of the Lord. And it says in verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14 of, Re of Revelation, it says this, to the angel of the Lord in Laodicea, write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay, can you keep your finger there? How many of you have heard that? that verse before, raise your hand, neither hot nor cold, right? Now, growing up, maybe you knew more than me when I was growing up, but growing up, whenever I read that verse or whenever a pastor would preach about that verse, they would always say this. They would say, God wants you to be hot or cold. He doesn't want you to be lukewarm, sitting on the fence, uh, uh, not, not choosing a side. He wants you to either be all for him or all against him, right? Is that how some of you have interpreted that scripture in the past or even just right now? Like that is how you read that, right? neither hot nor cold. You're either with me or be against me. Now, doesn't like, as I'm saying that, doesn't it kind of like make you go, hmm, when has God ever said, you know what, either be with me or just get away from me? Has God ever, has that ever come across you in any other scripture? Has that ever been the, the portrait of God that he would say either be with me or for me? But it makes sense to us, right? Because we use those terms, either you're hot. If you're a hot shooter and you're a streaky shooter and you're hot, you get the ball, you shoot the ball every time. Why? Because you're making everything. If you're a cold shooter, like I am most of the time, you get the ball, you shoot, and then someone says, hey, yo, chill. You know what I mean? Like, so, so that's, 
That's what, like, you're either hot or cold. Or if you're hot, you have passion, you're, you're, you're gearing to go, you're ready, you're passionate about, about this. And if you're cold, that's a cold shoulder, that's a turn away, all those kind of things, right? That's how we interpret it in our day today, right? Either be hot or cold. But that's not how they do it. And that's not what this message is saying. Let me show you. So we got to know a couple things here. First, you got to know about Laodicea. Laodicea is a super rich city. And the church in Laodicea has a lot of wealthy Christians. Like everybody there has a lot of wealth. And the reason is because Laodicea is a very big trading city, very big trading mark for everyone. Like everyone comes through, they're trading goods. There's a lot of business that goes through Laodicea. So everyone there is fairly wealthy. It's a fairly wealthy city. It it has a lot of stuff that, that goes through there. And so the Christians there are also pretty wealthy. And they're not desperate like some Christians that are out in more of the, the, the regions of, you know, Roman Empire and stuff like that. They're not desperate. They're not poor. They're fairly well off. And now there are some things coming down uh, the, from the Roman Empire where the, empire, the emperor has said, I am God. Now, most Roman emperors said that they were gods after they died. Like people said, and, and he was a god. But this emperor said, I am a god now. Like I am a living god because he was just, he was weird. And, and so that is what he was saying. And so now he has installed some practices for people in these major cities, in these trading cities, where they would have to do certain, like either bow down to him or or do certain customs to show that they believe that the emperor was God. And what was happening was that some of the Christians were abiding by these customs so that they could keep their wealth. Because they were kind of like, you know, they were going to church, but really it was about their business and they would show up, but their priority right now was their wealth because they weren't desperate for the church's help. They had money, so they weren't desperate. So they were just kind of showing up and then going and having to do what they, the, what they did. They had to make a couple bucks and that was kind of where they are. Now, doesn't that sound like the verse, like being lukewarm, right? You're kind of playing in the middle, you're at church, but then you're kind of doing whatever you got to do for wealth. So wouldn't that make sense that that's what the verse is saying? But you have to know one other thing about Laodicea. Laodicea had one major problem, one big problem, one thing that everybody complained about all the time, and it was their water, their water. Their water was lukewarm because they had no water source close to them. To the north, they had these amazing hot springs. So these hot springs would come and they would give this great water and, and you could take a, a bath in the hot springs and you could take a, a bath in the warm water. You could wash your clothes in the warm water. And so the warm water was so great for the people to the north. And then to the south of Laodicea, they had these cold springs and the cold springs would be so refreshing and they'd drink it and it was already decontaminated because it was coming from the spring. And so you, it was easy to drink. And what was happening was that from Laodicea is sitting there right in the middle. And so they're bringing in this water source and the hot water's getting lukewarm. And the cold water that started out cold is starting to get lukewarm. And so one of the biggest issues you would ever hear someone in Laodicea talk about is I hate lukewarm water. So why is that mentioned right here? Well, it's because the message really isn't, hey, be with me or against me. What the angel is trying to say here, what the Lord is trying to say to this church in Laodicea is, hey, are you being useful to the kingdom? Are you being hot water or cold water? You know that same thing you complain about, that you can't use that lukewarm water because it's coming from the north and, and, and cooling down by the time it gets to you, or it's coming from the south and warming up by the time it gets to you? You know that lukewarm water that you hate, that every time you take a drink, you spit it out and you can't use it, and so you have to dump it out into the street? You know that lukewarm, lukewarm water? That's exactly how you're being, church in Laodicea. 
You have no use right now. The only thing you're focused on is your wealth. You're not focused on being useful to the kingdom. You're not focused on what you could do for the kingdom. Your focus has not been your faith. It has been how much can your faith get you more money? If you're in this little church, how does that church help your wealth? Your focus hasn't been right. You haven't been focused on being useful. You've been focused on being wealthy. And that's the message in those two verses. Now, that totally changes the verse, right? In fact, that totally kind of changes your portrayal of God. If I were to read this as hot or cold, I'm imagining a God that's saying, okay, if you're not totally with me, just get away from me. I'd rather you be, I'd rather you be just cold than lukewarm. But this portrayal of God is saying, hey, listen, if you want to be about the faith, then let's be about the faith. Don't be, just, don't be just lukewarm and doing nothing, showing up to church and doing nothing, showing up and bringing your Bible, but really doing nothing for the Lord. He's saying, be hot or cold, do something. Let's do something together because lukewarm water, I can just spit out of my mouth. And for some of us today, that makes a little bit more sense for the way we've lived our lives, right? Why we feel sometimes we're not as close with God. Because be honest, you kind of do what the church in Laodicea does. This is your Sunday to show up. So you're here and you're going to mark it off and you're going to feel pretty good. But are you being useful? Are you being hot or cold water? Are you just kind of being lukewarm? I'm here because I got to be, but I'm not really going to do anything different. I'm just here because hopefully if I pray enough, my life's going to turn out okay. And this verse is telling me now, I got to be useful. I got to be useful for the kingdom. My wealth comes secondary to my faith, to what he's asked me to do. See how much a scripture can change if I just ask the who and the when? See how much I can read into just that, when I, how much I can dig deeper into what God's asking me to do when I just ask for who and when? And then the next thing you need to do after you ask who and when, you should always ask why. Why was this written? I'm going to show you uh, uh, what I mean by this. So we're going to hop around a little bit today in your Bible. So just, just get ready, all right? This is like, this is going to be workout church today. So uh, at least for your fingers. So you're going to do, you're going to go to two places, all right? You can use, I do it sometimes, you can use your pointer finger and your ring finger to, to mark these two spots. So the first place you want to go is Romans chapter three. Go ahead, get there to chapter three. And then right after you get there, and it's a race, you should get there first. Always take everything as a race. Get there, Romans chapter three, as quick as you can. After you get there, go to James chapter two. If you have a Bible on your, on your phone, you might have to switch around from that. Or you guys, listen, if you're just like, I don't want to race today, I'm going to get too competitive, just read it from the screen. It's okay. Um, so what I want to do is I want to just read the verses first. So we're going to go to Romans 3, 28. I'm going to read this verse, and then I'm going to read to you James 2, 24. So Romans 3, 28 says this. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, right? That's Romans 3, 28. Something like that should be in every single one of your Bibles. That for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay, everybody's good there? I feel pretty good about that. It's, pretty, it's in line with most of, of us and what we've heard before. Go to James 2, 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Uh-oh. Oh, man, look what... Charlie Bacar did. He just made a boo-boo on stage. He gave you two verses that look like they say two totally different things, right? And haven't we always said that the Bible is an errand? It doesn't have any errors. It's not going to contradict itself. And I totally believe that. And in fact, these two verses, if you were just put them there and I was to put them in front of you just as they are right now, some of you are already like, oh man, should I be here right now? This is not good, okay? 
And I'm gonna tell you right now, you need to listen for the next five minutes as I explain this, because this is super important. This is someone that wants to criticize the Bible or criticize scripture or maybe criticize even your faith. This is one of those things they would do is they would take these two verses and they would just pull them out and they would say, look, these two things contradict each other. So what's most important for you, and especially for you as you read this book and as you apply it to your life, you should know if one of those, what that means, because now it's saying two totally different things, right? How are you gonna apply that to your life if it says two totally different things? So what you always do when you do a verse is you read it in context. You read the verses before and after, and this is why. Do you know when they wrote scripture, when people were writing these letters, writing these history books, writing these poems, do you know that there were no verses, okay? Nobody went and was like, writing the letter and was like, you know what, this should be a new verse, 47. They didn't do that. Do you know that in the Old Testament, verses weren't introduced until 8900? And verses are there and chapters are there so that you can get to the place quickly. Just like I told you, go to Romans 3.28. You would know exactly where to go. If I didn't tell you that and I was like, go to Romans, kind of read down. Yeah, go past like, you know, where they talk about that. Like that would take a long time. So they said, hey, let's just put some chapters and verses in here. And so AD 900, they did that for the Old Testament. For the New Testament, they did it in 1800, AD 900 for Old, AD 1555 for the New Testament, Right? So we know this is not supposed to be written as just like just a verse. Like no one just wrote that and was like, man, that looks so good. I'll get that tattooed on my arm because I bet you people do. Like they weren't thinking like that. They're just writing inspired by the Holy Spirit and giving you and giving you substance. So let's read how they actually wanted it to be read. So go ahead. Romans, let's do Romans first. Romans 3, we're going to start in verse 27. When then is boasting? Is it excluded by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God a God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles? Also, yes, of course, Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. So this is what he's basically saying here. Like Paul is writing this letter to the Romans and is saying, hey, like some of you are saying that because the Gentiles aren't circumcised, that they are not in, in justified before God. And he's saying, no, that has nothing to do. Like they don't have to do something. They don't have to do a work in order to be justified before God. It's by their faith that they're justified before God. Now you have to know what justified means in that context, right? Because there's two definitions really for justified. There's the theological definition that's happening right here in Romans. What's justified in this section of the scripture is a, is a theological term that means reconciled before God. That means when I'm justified before God, that I am in relationship before God, that there is nothing that separates me and God. I am reconciled before him. So how do I get to a relationship between me and God? How can that be reconciled? It's by my faith in Jesus who did the work. I have faith in a Jesus who did the work. And because I have that faith, I cannot work my way up into being a good relationship with God. I cannot work my way into a, into a better relationship with God. All I can do is have faith in Jesus. And because of that faith, it is not by what I do, but it's by what he does. And my faith in him now puts me and God in right relationship. Makes sense, right? All of us have probably heard that. So then what is James talking about? So let's look at James in context. Let's start in verse 20, James 2, verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, man, James just comes out hot, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also is faith without works. Now, justified in this section that James is talking about is not justified in relationship with God. So what James is not saying, and if you read the context, you can pick that up, right? James is not saying that you can work your way into being good with God. He is not using the word justified in that sense. He is not saying if you work hard enough, you will be reconciled with God. What James is saying is this, is that my works justify my faith. The actual definition of justify, not the theological definition, but the actual definition of justify is the demonstration of. It's It's like this. I am justified to speak today because of the works that I did to prepare for the sermon, right? You are justified to earn the paycheck that you do because of the career that you've had and the work that you've done, the college you went to or the the amount of years you put into your business that you are now justified to get what what you're getting paid, right? So now listen, we're not saying that like, hey, since you're justified to get paid what you get paid, you also reconcile with God. No, that term is a demonstration of, I have demonstrated that because I have worked this job that I am justified to get this paycheck. And what James is saying is this, is that works justify your faith. Not that it, not works justify you to the father, but works justify my faith. So for instance, if I was just saying that I had faith, but I had no works, James says that's dead. But if I have real faith, if my faith is real and it's so real that it reconciles me to the father, that the justification, the demonstration of my faith will be outward works. Basically, I can't say I have faith, but then do nothing about it, right? Then there's nothing to justify my faith. That's just words. That's just dead words. That's just me saying that like, yeah, I have faith in Jesus, but I really do whatever I want. And all of us know that that's not real, right? And so all James is saying here is like, hey, in order to be justified, in order for your faith to be justified, in order for your faith to have a demonstration of, it should overflow out into what you do in life. Because if it's so essential, if it's so life-changing that it would reconcile you to the Father, then it should cause you to do something outward. That's what James is saying. So do you see that just by me not reading just two little verses that make it look like they contradict each other, by me grabbing the context of what's going on, by me understanding what the word justify means in that certain sentence, then now the the, the verses don't even contradict each other. In fact, they lift each other up, right? It explains that I can't just be justified and reconciled with the Father by just saying something, that because I'm reconciled with the Father, that it's going to cause me to do something. They're not in against each other. They're with each other. They're building on each other. And so I have to know the who. I have to know the when. And I have to know the why. I have to know those three things in order to do the most essential thing that any pastor or really the Christian life, what Jesus has asked you to do, which is know the how. Know how to apply it to your life. Guys, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, 
I would ask you to die for the words that are in this book. I would ask you to be arrested for the words that are in this book. And it's so funny to me that, that I would say those words and that you would probably say, yeah, I will. But that you wouldn't even study this book. It's really hard for you to ask those three questions. And if you can't ask those three questions, how are you applying it to your life? Look what, look what in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 Chapter 3, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look what Paul says about Scripture. Go to verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. You see what Scripture can do? Like it's supposed to reprove. You know what Scripture does? It, it's, it's something that's going to, change me. But do you know that we, what we do with scripture, especially if you don't ask the, the who, the when, and the why, do you know what we do with scripture? You're just like, Charlie, I can figure it out. I'll just read it and I'll just apply it. I don't need to do any work. Let me tell you what you're going to do just as a human being, because this is your natural reaction when you read words in here. This is going to be your natural reaction, not because you're a bad person, but because of the fall, because this is every human's reaction. When someone says something like this, I can just read it and apply it to my life. This is how you'd apply it. This is, I'd love that I get to do this. These are my favorite pair of sweatpants. You have, and listen, you all either have a pair, and if you don't have a pair, you need to put it on the number one of your Christmas list, all right? They're camo. I don't know if you could see them because they're camo, but some, someone in here is wearing camo because we in Norco, so that's all right. Like, um, you know what they say about camo? They say you can't see you in the woods, but they see you everywhere else. You know what I'm saying? These are sweatpants. They're so, and I love, like, I will get home from work. I will put these on. These are my favorite pair of sweatpants. Do you know why? Because they're comfortable, right? They're so comfortable and they're so, like, they're just so forgiving. Sweatpants are the most amazing thing. Sweatpants don't, sweatpants don't judge you. They don't judge you like jeans judge you. Right? Look what sweatpants says. Sweatpants, sweatpants doesn't even give you, like, they don't give you numbers. They just give you letters. Just one letter. Right? <laughs> You S, M, L, maybe you get two letters, you XL. That's all right. That's, that's good. It's only two letters. It's not numbers. Mine say L. Isn't that so nice? Like my, my sweatpants don't judge me. They just come on. They're comfortable. They move with me. I'm going to put these on right after we're done with service. Like I'm going to get home. You will find me on Friday or Saturday. When I'm not working, you will find me in these, all right? Don't expect me to be in this. This is uncomfortable. You'll find me in these. And we all, that's why we love sweatpants. They're great. Sit down, nothing, like it just feels great. It's so comfortable, right? But have you ever tried these pants? These are, these are for my suit. These are suit pants, all right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man, so I'm assuming women, they, they, when you get a tailored suit, they do the same thing. Have you ever had to go in and get yourself measured for a suit? Man, they, they don't lie to you, even like jeans do. Jeans will tell you. Jeans will tell you that you're a different size than the tailor will, right? He don't lie to you. He gets out like the measure thing. You thought you were a 34 and that three became a four real quick, right? You went up, right? I was so disappointed. I was like, you joking? Remeasure, boy. And so, and, and you know what? And these pants, they fit you. Like they, they're, they're tailored, right? They got, a, they got a size. And guess what? If you try to fit on the ones you wore before the pandemic, you try to fit them on now, guess what these pants are going to tell you? They're going to tell you they don't fit. And there's no with this, like trying to like get them in, right? Mm -mm. Right? Whatever it is, that's what it is, right? Okay, they look good. 
You look nice in a suit, but these aren't comfortable. These, this isn't made for comfort, okay? And someone came up, they're like, you know, they got those elastic bands. I was like, okay, that's just for the lukewarm Christians. So, um, <laughs> but right, that's what these pants are, right? They're not comfortable. They'll let you know when you're, when you're a little chubby. They'll let you know, hey, you need to trim up a little bit. They ain't going to lie to you. They're not forgiving like, like sweatpants. Sweatpants are so nice. They're so forgiving. You know, a lot of us look at scripture and we, we look at it like sweatpants. I'll just make it fit me. At least I'm wearing pants, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, at least I'm a good person. So you don't worry about the who, the when, and the why. You just read it and you say, I can make that fit me. Scripture's like suit pants. It'll tell you when, hey, you need to trim up on here. It's not going to be forgiving like sweatpants. It's not going to just try to make you feel comfortable. If anything, it's just going to try to make you look good. That's what it's meant for. It's not trying to make you be okay with how you live your life right now. It's not trying to say, hey, you know what? It's good for you. It's not sweatpants. It is suit pants. It's saying, I need you to be ready. You need to be ready for what God has for you. What does 2 Timothy says? He says, for reproof, for correction, for, for, for teaching, for rebuking. Why? For the good work of the Lord, to train you up in that. God's not asking for an army of people wearing sweatpants. He's not saying, hey, you know what? You want to look good? Don't worry about looking good. Just be comfortable. He's saying, I need you to be ready for the good work I have for you. You know what else I could put there? For the purpose of your life. You wonder why you're not getting to the places you want to get to with God? It's because you keep putting on sweatpants. You keep reading this Bible and saying, well, I don't have to do everything it says. Or, or I don't really know what it meant to them, but I'll just say what it means to me because that's way more comfortable. When if you were to read this Bible as it was meant to be written, it would tell you to change some things. It would tell you the way that you view certain issues in your life you need to trim up because that's not the way God wants you to live. That's not the way he's designed you. That's not the way you're meant to be trained up in to go do his good work. But that's difficult, right? It's not comfortable. I feel like if I was up here preaching about, hey, how comfortable it is to be a Christian, most of you would just leave. Because why would I die for something that I was just supposed to be comfortable with? Why would I give my whole life to something? Why would I stand on the stage? For me, it was a whole career that, that that's what God called me to do is to do this. Like for me, that's what it is. For you, it's to be a Christian in your workplace. Why would he ask you to stand out amongst others as they did the things they were doing and you were doing the things this book was doing? Why was he doing that if it was just supposed to make you feel comfortable? Why would it have any impact on the world if it was just supposed to be sweatpants? Shouldn't it be something that actually makes a difference, that actually challenges me, that even if I was a Christian for 30 years, that this would still tell me to say, hey, trim up a little bit. You got some things to work on. The average home in America owns four Bibles. That Bible you're probably using on your phone has been downloaded over 500 million times. And yet, it's never opened. 
And you never study it. You never ask the who, the when, the why. That's too much work. If you don't know those things, if you're not willing to study this scripture, how are you going to be willing to die for it? How are you going to be able to stand up for it to where you don't have to yell or become angry? How is this the most treasured thing in your life and you don't even want to really know what it says? How can that be? Hey, let me tell you, maybe that's why people look at us and say, are they for real? Maybe that's why they have a problem with believing in a faith. For us, we say die for this book and we're like, yeah, but I got like 15 minutes. I don't know if I can figure out all that stuff. I don't know if I can really find out how it applies to my life. Maybe I'll just open it up and pick out a verse. I know for the pastoral staff, Pastor Jim in particular, we want you to value what this is, not just because it's a book, but because it's sacred. It's God's text message to you. How many of you ever wished you could just text God and say, what do I do in this situation? He texted back. He texted back. It's just going to take a little work to kind of find out what it means and how it applies to you. But he texted back, wouldn't you want to know what it meant? And not just so that you could become better than everyone. No, in fact, I'll tell you this. If you use your Bible as a scope to criticize everyone else, you're using it wrong. If this Bible is just like, okay, you're doing that wrong and you're doing that wrong and the people that don't even believe in God, they're doing all this stuff wrong. If that's how you're using your Bible, that's wrong. You're using that as a scope. This Bible is supposed to be a mirror. This Bible should never be used to criticize others. It should only be used to criticize you when you read it. That's what it's supposed to be used for. How you doing with that? How you been with that? Again, it's not just so you can be better than anyone else. It's so that you're prepared for the work that God has for you. So you're prepared for the things that come up in your life. So you're prepared for that time when, when you walk in your office and everyone's freaking out, when you're prepared for the time when your family's in disarray. So you're prepared for the time when, when the church asks people to step up or, or you feel like you, so you're prepared for the work that he has for you, for your purpose in this life, for the thing that he installed in you when he wove you in your mother's room. He's saying this scripture prepares you for it. Are you listening? Are you hearing? Are you reading? Are you trying to figure out how it applies to your life? If you're not, faith is going to be real shaky. That's why this book is so important. That's why the when and the why and the who leads to the how. Now, what we did as a staff, just so you guys know, there's a QR code in front of you, or if you have, uh, get the emails. What the staff did is under the church essentials, we listed uh, like about, I think it's 10 commentaries and websites that we use in order to study. Um, whether it's for a sermon or whether it's for a devotional or whether it's for our own personal life, it's things that we go to for that. And so we want to give those to you. Because I don't want you, listen, I don't want you getting your theology from a 27-year-old on TikTok. I, just, I would just probably say, like, let's, let's, you know, not saying they're not bad. I'm just saying let's double check it, okay? Uh, so we gave you guys some good stuff. We hope you use it. Can I pray with you really quick? And then we're going to head out into to our places. Father, 
Thank you so much for for what you've done for us, God. I thank you so much for the word and the text message you gave us. God, let us us value it, God. Let us us know exactly what it is. It's not just words on a page, but God, there there are ways that we can apply it to our lives so we can be prepared for the things that you have for us. So God, let us take that seriously. This is what we stand on. So Father, let us take that seriously today. Let's go and challenge ourselves to look up the who and the when and the why so we can really know how to apply it to our lives. Thank you, Father. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.